The Sanctuary, a community of Jesus people promoting the glory of God in all things to all nations through gospel-centered missional living. Whether it be working with groups in Africa to build orphanages and help rid the continent of AIDS, or feeding the hungry, giving to the oppressed, and helping the hurting who live in our own community, The Sanctuary invites you to be part of a culture of passionate service. You can change your world. Be inspired. Join the movement. Today we're going to be talking about um, uh, the mission that God's called us on to. I don't think there's another way for me to say it other than that, that God has this mission for us, that he's called us on to this mission, um, and we want to know that as best we can. So we're going to be in two scripture verses. We'll be in Psalm 105, if you want to go there. Um, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Peter, will you go ahead and hit the lights in there? Uh, we have Psalm 105, um, and that's, if you let your Bibles kind of fall open, you should be somewhere in the Psalms in the middle, uh, and you can find 105, and then we'll also be over in 1 Peter chapter 1. So I want to ask a, a big question, I guess, first, and that is, why do we know or how do we know anything at all about God? Have you ever thought about that? Why do we know anything about him? How do we know anything about him? And I would say it's this, because he has chosen to tell us things about himself. We know things about God because God has chosen to reveal things to us. Now, why does God do that? Have you ever thought about this stuff? It's just just me. These are all these giant philosophical, ontological questions about God, right? Why does God do anything, you know? Um, And why has he bothered to tell us anything about himself? Because otherwise, and I think you need to understand this, we would be hopeless to know anything about God unless he tells us things about himself. That's not a necessarily um, given thing in the universe that we would know something about God. If God didn't choose to reveal things about him, we wouldn't know anything about God. So why does God do that? Why does God reveal anything to us about himself? Several reasons. First of all, so the world can see him. Secondly, so the world can know him. Because to see God or to know something about God and to know God are not the same thing. So God wants the world to see him, God wants the world to know him, and God wants the world to respond to him. That, this, this is maybe the biggest thing that I would want to kind of get across to us today, is that God isn't just about putting up a billboard letting you know that he's there, right? It'd be like the Bucky's billboard that you see 274 miles before there was a Bucky's, right? The point isn't that you would go, yay, there's a Bucky somewhere. The point is you're going to go, I'm going to stop at Bucky's. They have the best restrooms in the world, Right? So we're going to go stop at the Bucky's. That's why the billboard's there, to get you to respond to it. Same thing with God. He lets us know things about him, not that we would just know him or know about him, but that we would respond to him. As we look into this psalm today, we're going to get into Psalm 105. This psalm tells us that we can know things about God, which leads us to then praising God. So this psalm says that we know these things about God, we respond to God, and then we praise God. Well, what does that even look like? How do we praise God? I I think that's a question that we do need to ask. Obviously, I think what we just did was we praised God, right, through song. That's a very specific way to do it. Through song and worship and music, we just praise God here together. But what are some other ways we can do that? Does it have to look like, you know, Les Mis, where you're just breaking out in songs every now and then in the middle of the day? What does that look like? It probably looks something more like a life song, which is where our lips... In our praise and our beliefs and our actions, all these things match up with each other. So throughout the day, we have an opportunity to maybe stop and verbally, at least in our brains, go, wow, God, that's really awesome. 
Thank you for doing that. That's really incredible. You really are good. You really are kind and magnificent and all these things and awesome. Thank you. So there's an opportunity to stop and do that, but then there's an opportunity every day, probably moment by moment, in our beliefs and in our actions to praise him. I I think we might be most on God's mission with him when we live his way and we live his way with joy in our hearts. When we live the way that God wants us to, and we live the way God wants us to with joy in our hearts, not out of obligation or out of bitterness that I have to do what God tells me to do, that may be when we are most on mission with God, when we're living with him like that. So let's look at Psalm 105. It's going to begin to break this down, at least introduce this to this idea. So verse 1 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Speak of all his wonders, glory in his holy name. Let the heart of those who seek the Lord be glad. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his face continually. Remember his wonders which he has done, his marvels, the judgment uttered by his mouth. O seed of Abraham, his servant, O sons of Jacob, his chosen ones. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. So here in this psalm, this author goes back and says, you know, Abraham and Jacob and Israel and this Jewish people, they have been chosen by God to become God's servants. They've been chosen by God to become his servants. How, in what way are they to become God's servants? Or how are they serving uh, God like this, like it says in this text? I think this text, these first three verses, or six verses here are very specific. Here's how they're serving God. They're serving God by making God known among the nations, and then at the end of this psalm, he's going to say, here's the other way that you serve God. You serve God by making him known, and you serve God by keeping his laws, by observing his precepts, by observing his commandments. So it's this idea that we are shouting in our character every day. We're shouting in our lifestyles every day what God has done to us, and then we're saying with our words how God is Lord, and he is good, and he is changing us, and he is working in us, and he is sustaining us, and he is faithful to us, and he is loving, and he is kind, and he is generous. So it's those two things matching up. Every day our lifestyles and our characteristics are shouting to the world around us something about God, and then our words are coming behind that as we praise God with our, our words and our mouths. He uses that, that word chosen, that Israel had been chosen, God's people has been chosen, and some of us, I know we're in a unique period, I think, in church history, and people freak out about chosen, elected, and predestined. Let's kind of get down to where it applies, and probably what matters the most is that being elected is all about being the missional people of a missionary God. We are chosen and elected by God to be a missionary people because God is a missionary God, and that's ultimately what this means for us, is that God chose us to be on mission with him, and that ultimately, when we are elected and chosen by God, it is to be a missionary people. I think when you get to Acts chapter 2, and you can look it up later, when you get to Acts chapter 2, this is exactly what's happening. The fulfillment of this idea happens explicitly in Acts chapter 2. God's covenant people are living out so fully what it means to be God's elected people that other people see that and they're drawn to it. That's what happens in the early church, the first church. Peter uses that language that God foreordained this he, he, uh, he preordained this. You acted on it. He called you. He chose you. And as people act like the chosen people of God, others see that and they're attracted to it and they're drawn into it. 
We are on mission with God as we live out what it means to be changed and different and holy and empowered with God or by the Holy Spirit to draw people to God. We're changed and we're renewed and we're being renewed. And there are times when that is repulsive to people. Have you ever been in a situation where you're different and you're trying to live the way that God's told you to live and that holiness expressed in your life is repulsive to people? It's a turnoff to people, right? So there's this sense in which we are living a holy life and our holiness is sort of repulsive to people that aren't saved. But at the same time, it's attractional because they do look at you and they're like, how can they live like that? How can they possibly believe that? How can they possibly act like that? There's nothing in this situation that would lead that person to live and think like that, but they are. How is that even possible? So there's this weird conflict that grows up in the people around us as they see what's different in us, being both repulsed by it and attracted to it. So this is where we're going to go all day long. So I'll just start with this first question. Does that describe you? I don't want you to give me this whole thing about, well, I'm not an extrovert and I'm an introvert and I'm not an evangelist, I'm not a healer, mercy. No, I don't want to, that's not the point. The point today is this. Is your lifestyle on mission with God, which is to draw men to himself through Jesus Christ, does your lifestyle yell that at people, shout that at people? Does your holiness, we'll we'll say it that way because that's where Peter's going to take us. Does your holiness shout praises to God in your lifestyle so that it draws men to God as you're on God's mission. The gospel being lived out in your life. And then it supports the spoken gospel. So here's the thing. I'm going to say it now. We won't go back to it, but I'll say it again. No one's going to get saved because you don't cheat on your taxes. You understand that? Nobody's going to look at your life and go, man, they mow their yard every week. What a good guy. I'll bet you he believes in Jesus Christ and Jesus died on the cross for their sins. And I'll bet you if I did that, I'd get saved too. That logic doesn't pan out at some point. Sooner or later, your neighbor looks at you and goes, they're a decent person, they're a good person, something's different in them, you have an interaction with them, and you tell them, the only reason I'm different is because Jesus died for me. He's changing me. The Holy Spirit is renewing me. And that's the only hope that I have, and it's the only hope that you have. That's the spoken gospel. These two things go hand in hand with each other, right? We're going to really spend a lot of time talking today about the holiness aspect of it, the living out of the gospel part of it. Francis Schaeffer wrote a book called The Church and the Watching World, probably 1973. It's a great book. And he said, people are going to know that we are Christ because we love each other. Now, that's not revolutionary. Jesus said that. The point of his book is this. Yes, people are going to know that we are God's followers, Christ's followers, because we love each other. But basically what, he, what he's saying, Schaeffer was saying was, people are going to know you're a believer because every day you live a life that looks like Jesus. Because every day you build relationships with people, both lost and saved, that looks like a relationship Jesus would would have. The way that we live our faith is key to our mission. How we live our faith is key to our mission. We cannot argue with our lifestyles a message that is opposite what we would say in the gospel. What we say is true about God and Jesus Christ has to be reflected in how we're living, our choices that we're making every day. So how we live out our faith is key to the mission that God has for us. So I think I'm going to get into this a little bit. This idea that we're talking about has been described in two words, a centrifugal mission and a centripetal mission. 
I'm just going to quickly talk about what that means. When we do centrifugal missions, we're sending things out. Some of you, some of, it's funny, all the engineers were sleeping until I said those two words, and they're like, what? Centrifugal, centrifugal, this is great. We're going to have some algebra in a second. Um, centrifugal, it's what we're sending out, okay? What do we do? Well, organizationally, we send people out from here. We literally send people out. Today, we're going to pray for our Uganda team. We're sending them out. That is centrifugal, what goes out from here. Every day you drive off of this parking lot, we're sending you out. Do you understand that? That you leave here to go on your mission. 52 weeks a year, that's what's happening here. So we're sending you out. And then there's other people that vocationally, for their job, we are sending them out, right? So that's how our church is kind of doing that. We're sending people out. Now, centripetal is what's coming in. So here's the most biblical way I could say that, is that you are living your life in such a way that you are drawing people in. In the Old Testament, they would have used language like, we're going to keep the Torah, we're going to keep the law, we're going to keep God's precepts. And as people see us living out God's law, they would be attracted to us. Now I'm going to go into one specific application for New Testament believers, and we're going to really come into this a lot throughout the day. What does this look like for us? So, Pastor Joe, are you telling me that the, the way that I attract people in is by being a law keeper? Because some legalists in this room, you're like, yes, I've been right the whole time, <laughs> right? All you had to do was keep the law. I'm good. That is not what I'm saying, right? Here, here's what I think the New Testament application is. Let's go to something specifically. How do you handle suffering? Because Jimmy's right. All of us walk through garbage in this life. All of us walk through pain and loss in this life. Shouldn't the gospel change radically how we handle suffering? How do you handle suffering? Here's another one. How do you handle success? Sometimes we're the worst people at handling success as Christians, aren't we? How do we handle successes that come into our lives? How do we treat our spouse and our family? How do we treat our ex-spouse? How do we handle disagreements? How do we forgive the ugliest people in our lives? How do we convey love and empathy for the outliers in our world? The abortionist, the homosexual, the irrational illiberal, the irrational conservative, the hurt and the hurting, those who have zero to offer us. How do we give them love and compassion? Who has hurt you? Who has offended you? Who has wounded you? Who has chosen a life that is far, far away from your preferences for life? Who is just doing it differently than you? My question for you is, for us in the New Testament, is this. How are you toward them? How are you treating those kinds of people? And especially in community with other believers, are you fomenting anger and bitterness and revenge and the cold shoulder or forgiveness and reconciliation and renewal? We're not just talking about the easier path of following the external law. We are talking about the much more difficult path of the law that addresses our hearts and our minds and our souls and our beliefs and our attitudes. This is what it looks like to have a centripetal mission. As we go out, we draw people in. How do we draw people in? How are you handling success? How are you handling fear? How are you handling pain? How are you handling joys and successes in your life? Those things can be exceptionally attractive to people because, quite frankly, they have no anchor in their lives when those things happen to them. And when they see it in you, there's something that's like, wow, what is that? And you're drawing people in. 
as you go on mission with God, as you live daily. So we're reminded also in this text of how big a part of worship is, our daily worship is, in our mission, in what God has called us to do. These people are literally singing as they go out. They're singing these praises to God. Worship recenters us. It refocuses us. And it reminds us that we're God's people. As we proclaim his name, as we sing to him, as we tell of his acts, as we tell about his glory and his holiness and his perfection, we remember his works and his miracles and his judgments. In worship, when we worship God, he reminds us, God gathers us to himself and he reminds us that he is the Lord of all. So again, I want to ask about you just on a daily basis. You are going out on God's mission. You are committing yourself anew today. I'm going to live my life differently so people see Jesus in me and they want to be attracted to that gospel. That's what I want to have happen. So here's where it gets real. You have toddlers that don't obey you. Right? Your body stops obeying you. I get any amens from anybody? Your finances don't add up. Your future doesn't look clear. Your boyfriend or your girlfriend doesn't work out. Reality does not add up to your emotions. And worship reminds us that the Lord reigns. Worship reminds us from day to day, moment to moment, that, it's a, that it's, there's another truth of this world, that God is true, that the gospel is true. And as we worship him daily, it just speaks loudly to people. And it's attractive to them. You're going to have bad days. You're going to have awful days. You're going to have days that are seasons of life that are not adding up to what you want them to add up to. Worship God during that time. It will recenter you. It will remind you that the Lord reigns. And it is another way of attraction for people. Another way to attract them to what they see in you. So that's what we go out with. That's what God is sending us out with. Now, what mission are we on? When we go out into this mission, what mission are we on? Look in uh, 105, look at verse 42. Toward the end, it says, For he remembered his holy word with Abraham his servant, and he brought forth his people with joy, his chosen ones with a joyful shout. He gave them also the lands of the nations, that they might take possession of the fruit of the people's labor, so that they might keep his statutes and observe his laws. Praise the Lord. Whose, whose mission are we on? I think this is actually a really vital question for us to ask, especially maybe today in the world we find ourselves in. One author says this, Christopher Wright said this, he said, it's not so much the case that God has a mission for his church in the world, but that God has a church for his mission in the world. It's not so much that God has a mission for his church in the world, but that God has a church for his mission in the world. Mission was not made for the church. The church was made for mission, God's mission. That's why we're here. God has redeemed his people. He has chosen us. He has called us out so that we would be on his mission. Have you ever thought about the Old Testament and the gospel, the good news that Old Testament believers had to tell their friends, right? So they're trying to keep God's laws. They're trying to live the way that God wants them to. Uh, a, maybe they've got a, uh, a Samaritan friend, and the Samaritan's friend's like, Whoa, what's wrong? What's up with you, man? You're different. You handle all these stresses in life such a different way. Here's their gospel. Well, way back in time, Adam sinned, right? Kicked us out of the garden. 
We go through Noah, he saves Noah, he gives us uh, Abraham, and he saves us out of, you know, the bondage with Moses, and then he gives us the sacrificial system. So we make sacrifices to him today. God's been very faithful to his people, and we do our best to live out what he tells us to do. That's the Old Testament gospel. That's it. It cuts off at that point. It doesn't go anywhere else. If you're reading Psalm 105, he tells you their gospel. We're not going to read it, but there's about 30 verses where he's just telling you this is what God's done. God has been so faithful to us. He had a covenant relationship, and he's kept it, but then it just kind of ends at that particular point. It's kind of God's people. It's like God's mission to date, basically what they had. This is what God's been doing as of right now, okay? It just sort of stops. But they end with, he's a great God who saves, Regardless of the information they had, they kind of ended up in the same place. God saved us, and he will save us, and he's worth our praise, and he's worth our lifestyles. But now this is our story too, but here's the cool thing about our praise, our centripetal mission, the the worship we do is we go out and draw people in. We get to finish the story. We would end in the same place. We would say, God saved his people. He was faithful to them. Bring them out of uh, of, uh, captivity and put them back in the land. And that everything up to this point was like this foreshadowing of Jesus. Everything up to that point is just pointing everybody to Jesus. And he has saved us from our sins. And he has saved us from the curse of sin. And he has saved us from the tyranny of Satan and death and hell. God saves. That would be our story. Amen? That's our gospel story. Our gospel story is that God really, truly, ultimately saves us from the worst parts of who we are in our worst trouble, which is sin. So the question I have for us is, is your pursuit, your daily pursuit of holiness, which have you even thought about that, man? Every day you get up and you have an opportunity to pursue holiness or not. Is your daily pursuit of holiness matching up to the gospel story that you have? We praise God more Psalm 105 is beautiful, man. It's poetic. It's, it's singable. People have sung Psalm 105. It's gorgeous and all these, kind of, it's, it's all these kind of things. But do you realize that your lifestyle should have more beauty in it and more hope in it and more pure gospel in it than even Psalm 105? Because you get to end the story with, and Jesus saves, and he can save you, and he saved me. And our lifestyle should match up to that as we go daily with God out on his mission so all these verses wrap up, and they're telling us this is kind of the gospel, the way we understand it. And they tell us some of the reason why God has saved us. Which again, we have screwy theology about this. If I asked you why God saved you, I'd be curious to hear what you would say about that. Scripture is pretty clear why God does it. This is one of those places where he tells us why God saved us. It's at the very last couple of the last verse, verse 45. So that we can keep his statutes and observe his laws, praise the Lord. The last word in that text is actually hallelujah. So that we can keep his statutes and observe his laws, hallelujah. So if I were to ask, if you ask me, hey, Pastor Joe, why did God save us? I would say, so we can keep his laws and observe his statutes. And you might go, yay? (laughs) Really? Is that it? Why am I going to praise the Lord? Why is this good that God has saved me to keep his laws and his statutes? Here we go. This is why this is such a big deal. Because we have absolutely no hope of being the person who can keep God's laws and statutes on our own. We are not good people who need just a little bit of reforming. 
We are sinners who deserve punishment and behavior modification and shock therapy and maybe a lobotomy. But we have been made into his heirs with Jesus Christ and recreated so that we can keep his laws and his precepts. And you're just like, okay, yay? Don't know if that's that big a deal. Let me put it this way. This is a total change of mentality. What if I said it to you this way? Pastor Joe, why did God save us? And I said to you, because then we get to keep his laws. Not so we can, but so that we would want to. We get to follow his commandments. We get to do the things, and we can do them now. We couldn't do it before, but now we can. Now we can do it, and we want to do it. We have been remade to morally want to do these things. If not perfectly, then with sincerity and consistency. Why? Because God has a mission, and he has called out his church, you and me, to be his children. Hallelujah. We should end that statement with a hallelujah. Praise the Lord. We should end that same exact statement with praise God. He has recreated me and saved me so that not only can I keep the Old Testament, I want to keep the law. Don't get hung up in the old. Don't batter me with that stuff. Understand the concept here, right? God has had a precepts and law, a way of living life that he has laid out clearly. In my flesh, I don't want to and I can't. Recreated, I want to, and I can. Hallelujah. Because it's the best way to live. Right? God's laws and precepts are the way to happiness and fulfillment and satisfaction. That's why God did it. The other thing I want to tell you about that is this. Some of you are like, well, man, if I'm on God's mission, and I'm supposed to be living this lifestyle, and I can keep his commandments and all that stuff, and people are, I don't want to offend anybody. Especially, again, further down you go the age bracket, this becomes one of your major motivators in life. I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to hurt anyone. I don't want to offend anybody. Everybody kind of has their own way. I don't have the gift of evangelism. I've been doing this 28 years, and I've heard every reason why people don't go out and tell people about Christ. Are you a Christian? Would you say, I'm not going to have you raise your hand. Would you say, I'm a believer. I'm a Christian. I'm following Jesus. I've trusted him to take away my sins. That's qualification number one. Qualification number two, are you breathing? Some of you are holding your breath now. Nope. (laughs) If I don't have to go on mission, I'm going to hold my breath, you know, right? Are you breathing? Are you walking around? Do you ever interact with another human being? Has the Lord saved you? Welcome to the mission field. Those are your qualifications. You have been saved You've been left here for some amount of time and you brush up against a bunch of other skin suits for a while. You are on God's mission. Do you understand that? To live out his precepts, to keep the things that he's told us to keep, to go out to attract people with the lifestyles that we live. That is God's mission for us. And you and I are on that mission, which I think pushes us over to the New Testament. So how do we as Christians, because we don't want to get tied up in the Old Testament, Andy Stanley's like, you don't even need the Old Testament anymore, you know? So like, what do I do with this? How do I connect what this is telling me here with what the New Testament says to integrate this with my life? So if you can, flip over to 1 Peter. So you're going to go past Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, New Testament, past Romans, past Hebrews. We'll have it up on the screen if you can't find it. 
What does this look like in the New Testament? 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. What does this look like to live out God's precepts, to want to be, to be changed by the Holy Spirit and by Christ, and to want to live it out so people are attracted to it? So here's the thing. If we are God's people, if you are God's child, if you have been called by him, truly redeemed by him, you're going to worship him with your everyday lives. You will be holy. Now, we get freaked out by that because that sounds like an impossible bar to, to, to reach, right? So let's talk about it just a little bit. Can we at least agree that God is holy? We may struggle with our holiness, but we'll just start with something we can agree on. God is holy. Now that word, Old Testament, kadash, it means to cut, to separate out, to remove from those things and creatures that are not holy. God is holy. New Testament, hagias, holiness, sacred, set apart for God's work. You take those two eyes together, Two ideas together. Oh, and Kadash also means like morally pure. So you take those ideas, put them together. God is holy, and that means he's holy in his justice. He's holy in his love. He's holy in his hatred. He's holy in his knowledge. He's holy in his plans. In every way you can possibly imagine, God is holy, cut apart, separate, morally pure. And God's holiness, some of us don't like this idea, and we wish I would quit talking about it now. But you need to understand something. If you remove the holiness of God, if that's so offensive to us or so theologically high for us to think about, here's what that means. That means you really don't understand the story of redemption. Because if you remove holiness, sin is not that big of a deal. Do you understand that? This is why sin is so cosmically offensive. Because God is absolutely, perfectly, completely holy. And our sin offends that holiness. So we need Jesus in the cross. So we need salvation. So we need an end of evil. Do you realize that? When God puts everything back the way it's supposed to be, everything will be holy. Not to the same degree that God is, but set apart, cut apart, set aside for God's, God's purposes, morally pure. An end of evil and an eternity, eternity living with the holy God. If I remove holiness, I don't need the gospel. So don't be so wigged out about the fact that God is holy and that you don't necessarily understand that, that you don't want to talk about it because it is intrinsic to our understanding of why Jesus is so important and why the gospel is such a big deal. God is holy and he's called us to this holiness, right? And here's where it's cool, I think. This is the good news the world needs the most, that there is a holy God that you can know and have a relationship with. This is the good news that the world needs the most because most of us, maybe even in this room, we talk about God's holiness and we get uncomfortable because we know how unholy we are. So here's the good news, right, about God's holiness. God is not a terror-filled God to be fled from. He's not a God who is so holy that we need to be morally dis, you know, afraid of him and run away from him. Matter of fact, God's made it in such a way that we can run to him. This holy God 
who should really just have nothing to do with us, he's so completely morally pure and different from us, has not only made it possible for us to know him, to know things about him, but to run to him in our brokenness, in our unholiness. That is the gospel. That's the good news that the world around us needs. A holy God who called us out of our sinful unholiness, and he's done everything necessary to make us holy so that we can be his children. God has made a way for us to call him Father. We don't just call God God. We call God Father. He's made a way for us to call him Father, to count on him and to run to him when life is dark and cold and terrible. And we've been called to be his children, to act like our Father, who is holy. We've been called to be holy because our dad is holy. Are you giving the gospel like that to other people? Are you living the gospel like that? That God is holy. It's, part, it's the core of who he is probably. And that he's called you and I to live like that. What's a perverted view of the gospel? A perverted view of the gospel is keep the law, be good. A perverted view of the gospel is God accepts me as I am and that means that I can stay entrenched in my unholiness and my failings and my sin and my brokenness and my pain because God accepts me as my end. That's a perverted view of the gospel. Perverted view of the gospel, God empowers me to control blessings and pains in my life. The gospel we want to give to people is that Christ-likeness, being holy, shows that God is holy and that he's untying the knots in my life as I love him and as I live with him. That's the gospel the world needs, isn't it? That as I do my very best in my broken ways to be like Jesus, to be holy, and as I live with him, he is slowly untying the knots in my life, the things that make me unholy. He's undoing those things as I live with him and I love him, and there's hope for them to have the same kind of life. That's the gospel we want to live and give away to people. So what does it look like every day? You are holy. You've been called to be holy. And if you're God's child, you stand before him being righteous, holy, because the perfect righteousness of Jesus has been given to you and counted to your account. That's a big amen, guys. So that's what that means to be holy. Then we say, well, I'm holy. What does that mean? That means that my allegiance is no longer to the kingdom of my success and my happiness, but to the progress of God's kingdom and God's glory and God's grace. Everywhere you are, with everyone you live life with, that's what it means to be holy. I am holy because God is holy, and he has changed me, and I'm no longer committed to being happy, and I'm no longer committed to being successful, and no longer committed to being rich and being the best parent in the world. I'm committed to, fo to forwarding the gospel of Jesus Christ and to giving people the same grace and the same glory that God's given me, because that is God's mission. And I am now on his mission. That's what it means to be holy with everyone that you live life with. Holiness is not a Sunday morning issue. If it is, you don't understand it. Paul Tripp said this, this means that between the already of your conversion and the not yet of your homegoing, obedience matters. Every thought, every desire, every word, every choice, and every action must be done in a spirit of humble surrender to the commands of God. That's holiness. Daily, practical holiness. We talked about it earlier. It's living out your life song. Your life is singing a song. And you're living out your life song 
of a holy missional life, a good gospel of what God's doing in you, and maybe occasionally verbal worship so that other people see him. There was a song, Casting Crowns, wrote it years ago, and they said, Lord, I give my life a living sacrifice to reach a world in need, to be your hands and feet. So my, may the words I say and the things I do make my life song sing, bring a smile to you. Let my life song sing to you. I want to sing your name to the end of this day, knowing that my heart was true. Let my life song sing to you. That's the big idea, right? That as we leave this place, as we go daily and we live a holy life, people would see our lives, be attracted to it, and God would see our lives and smile at us. Amen? That he would think about us and smile and see what we're doing and go, man, look at what they're doing. Look how faithful they're living. They're pursuing holiness and Christ-likeness. Now that sounds super churchy and awesome, and that's the goal I want to reach too. But you know what? Life is hard and messy and difficult and painful. So what does it look like then? Well, we have to give away a gospel during that time too, or it's no gospel at all. If the gospel is you can have a normal life and live the way you want to and everything's great and you can praise Jesus for that, lost people get that. So what gospel are we giving away? When life is gritty and hard and difficult, we want to give away a gospel that's real. We want to give away that is a gospel that is supernatural for real people who are going through real life. We live in this kind of daily worship through the hard things and the good things, all of it, because we're on mission with God. And some people are going to see that in our worst times and see it. So here's what that looks like. About 11 years ago, Stephen Curtis Chapman, uh, Christian artist, singer, musician, was having a, a family gathering at his house. And I think it was a graduation party, actually, for his son, Will. It was in May. It's for his son, Will. And as 17-year-old Will was driving up the driveway to their home, and as he rounded the corner, he didn't see his five-year-old adopted little sister run out in front of the car. And he ran over her in their driveway. And Stephen Curtis Chapman and Mary Beth and his wife, they run out, and she's bleeding out in their driveway. Life flight comes, take her to the hospital. She passes away before they even get to the hospital. A year before that event, Stephen Curtis Chapman had written a song called Yours, and I would encourage you to listen to it. After that event, he added this verse. I've walked the valley of death's shadow, so deep and dark that I could hardly breathe. I've had to let go of more than I could bear and questioned everything that I believe. But still, even here, in this great darkness, a comfort and hope come breaking through. As I can say in life or death, God, we belong to you. That's the gospel. You understand that? You live a holy life, day to day, moment to moment, best times and worst of times, and you give away the gospel of hope to people because life is hard and they need to see you day-to-day, moment-to-moment, living a life that shouts praises to the Lord. It's centripetal. It's, there's a gravity to it. It attracts them into your world. And at some point or another, you have the chance to go, I am only able to face this darkness in my life because God saved me. Amen? That's the gospel you want to give out. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes real quickly? I want to encourage you today. 
pursue personal holiness. And I'm not, I could have choose, chosen a, a ton of different ways to say that. I chose this specifically. Pursue personal holiness. Pursue a righteous lifestyle. It is a loud testimony to people. Don't let your holiness be compromised or made old-fashioned. Pursue personal holiness. Second thing, man, sing your life song every day. Every day you have an opportunity to tell people about Jesus with how you live, by your morality, by your ethical choices, by how you treat people, by how you forgive people who have hurt you. Live out the gospel. Shout your life song every day, daily worship to Jesus. Worship God and have the gospel on your lips. We sang another in the fire earlier. Those words and those verses are so great. They talk about, even if God doesn't act the way I want him to or do it the way I want him to, I will be faithful. Worship and have the gospel on your lips, ready to talk to people. Wherever you're at, be on God's mission. Then we pray something like this. God, make me holy. Can you pray that? Make me holy. Make me a great daily worshiper so that people can see the gospel in my life. Make me holy and a great daily worshiper. God, may my life song sing out to you whether I go through prosperity or tragedy the way I live my life daily, the way I handle these things. I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect in any way, God, but I just pray the consistency of my life, my life song every day, would proclaim your gospel in prosperity or tragedy. And then the last thing, God, open up my eyes to your mission. Let me see these people in my life that you've put around me that I can have this kind of mission with as I live this holy life and a life that pleases you. Father, this is our prayer today as we see in the Old Testament and the New Testament that we are your people and your mission. Father, I pray that you'd give us the courage and the daily commitment to live on your mission, God, by being holy and then giving people the verbal gospel when we have the opportunity. When they come and they say, wow, how do you do that? Let us give you the praise and tell them the good news about Jesus at that time. Use us any way you want to. Let us be on your mission. In your name we pray. I wanted to show you this morning what that mission could look like. I'm going to ask uh, Abigail and Addison to come up here. This is super cool. I feel like an old uncle or something, and my nephew has gone away to school and come back a man. Um, and uh, this is uh, Abigail and Addison Zodi, and um, Addison is a long-lost child here at the church, and he grew up here. And um, uh, God's called them to a very specific kind of mission, what this might look like for them. So I kind of wanted you guys to hear from them this morning uh, about what that mission could look like. So would you guys welcome them this morning because this is weird. So why don't we just start out, you guys tell us a little bit about your stories and where you guys come from and sort of how we got to where we're at today. Hello, so uh, my name's Addison. I um, grew up in the Sanctuary Fellowship. Um, and uh, I was just a church brat, um, and if you ask Joe or Jimmy, they'll say bad things about me when I was a kid, but that's probably all true. Um, but by the grace of God, really, um, 
growing up in a church where uh, the gospel is preached um, is a huge blessing, um, and I've come to find that out now growing up um, and going off to college and visiting other churches, just hugely blessed that uh, Joe and Matt and Jimmy would just preach the gospel and not only preach the gospel, but live it out. Um, And so, as you guys know, this church is super missional, and so I had the opportunity to um, go and visit um, all these different places and countries, go down to Mexico with the church, Panitas, um, Uganda, and get to serve. Um, And at this point in my life, I just was going probably because it was cool um, and maybe because my mom made me go. Um, (laughs) But God really used those trips in transformational ways. So I'm going off this path and rebellion, um, but all the while still going on these trips. And God is slowly using not only the trips and opportunities to serve and live out the Great Commission on these trips, um, but using the leadership on these trips um, to to slowly start to guide me back um, to walking in line with his will Um, for my life, and so uh, I think it was after my trip to Uganda um, that I I saw all these kids, and they're just, and mind you, we're going and serving these Christian kids or um, soon-to-be Christian kids at these camps um, and and sharing the gospel with them, and I'm going on this trip the very first time, and I'm kind of just living a lie. Um, I'm I'm saying I'm a Christian and, and taking advantage of the gift Um, of Jesus dying on the cross for my sins um, so that I can live and do whatever Addison wants to do. And I think I was talking to Matt and saying, like, oh, yeah, I want to be a Christian programmer and, you know, doing all this stuff. And, like, I was just going to go do whatever Addison wanted to do. And I'm living this life, and it's just kind of sad, and um, I'm upset and angry at everything. And I'm seeing these kids that have absolutely nothing, um, but they're so full of joy. And that's kind of when I realized, like, you know, I don't don't believe this. and I see the people that do believe this, and I can see the difference between our lives um, and, the, and just the differences there. And so that really led me to reflect. And I think, Joe, you remember better than I. I came to the church, and we did some Sanctus thing. Um, and uh, God used that to just the, the final KO punch and um, grabbed a hold of my life. And I remember, you know, realizing, like, you know, God did all this for me, and I, here I am trampling on the cross, um, just taking advantage of it, and I was like, no more, do I want to do that, like, I want to give him my life, because he deserves it, um, and, yeah, and God did some other things that I'll talk about, I'm sure, in a couple other questions, but, um, that was really my story of growing up in the sanctuary, and, um, yeah. Awesome. So, I grew up in Wiley, just Dallas area, a few hours from here, um, and similar story to Addison, I really, um, was blessed to have a really strong Christian family, um, and I came to know the Lord just through their guidance in my life, um, but I still had a lot to learn, and um, I also went to a really missional church, and so I went also on a mission trip just kind of to check the next box of what I thought a good Christian girl should do, and that's kind of what my mindset of my faith was at that point, was I just need to do all the things that, you know, we're supposed to do as believers, and if I check all the boxes, then I'm good to go. Um, And so that's why I went on my first mission trip, but similar to Addison, um, I really was just blown away and challenged so much um, by seeing people who had so little, um, but had so much trust and faith in Jesus, Um, And people, you know, missionaries there or church leaders who had given up their lives to um, To serve Jesus and to make his name known and to change people's lives for eternity 
um, by giving them hope in the Lord. And so that really challenged me so much also to realize that there's so much more than just doing the right things and checking the boxes. Um, and there's so much joy um, in that also. And God brings so much fulfillment for us when we do that. Um, so that's how I got here. And I just want to add one thing. I think both of us, um, it was the opportunity to live out the Great Commission um, that was so transformational. I think, you know, we, we always have the opportunity here right where we're at, you know, our neighbor and all of that. Um, but it was just like this new, like, fight or flight, you know, mentality. It's like I, I just did it, you know, for the first time. I was like, okay, here I am. I'm doing it. You know, and, and it's sad that it took that much for me to do it. Um, but then as I did it, I was just, I mean, both of us, we can testify to this. We were just so filled, and we were just taken aback and, and realized, wow, this is what God made us for, you know, to share his gospel, share his love with people. Um, and, yeah, since then, we've just loved that, you know, um, fulfillment that comes from living out the Great Commission. Um, and so, yeah, just blessed by the opportunity, short-term trips can do that, you know, and it's sad that sometimes it, it takes that, but those, that was our story, so. That's awesome, man. So tell us a little bit about, like, where you're at now, and you've been married for... Uh, one year tomorrow. There we go, so. one year tomorrow, yeah. Um, and just where are you at now? Like, you, you're, you're just master's, master Addison, he graduated with his master's degree, like, Thursday. Yeah, yeah. So he finished his master's degree. Um, yeah, right? Um, <laughs> um, and then just tell us where you're at right now. You're teaching, I think, and kind of what's, what's life got you at right now? Yeah, you want me to say? Um, so, uh, yeah, I just graduated with my master's. Really, we're in a transition stage right now. Abigail is going to finish her first year of teaching, um, fifth grade. Seven more school days. We're almost there. <laughs> seven, seven more school days. Um, and, and really, we're, uh, there's, there's no looking back. Um, we're diving into um, full-time support raising. And so I'm done with my job. She'll be done with her job in seven days. We've said, no, we're not coming back next year um, to that. And so uh, God's really got us on this um, path of uh, pursuing um, full-time um, overseas ministry in Japan. Um, and so until we get to, um, you know, fully supported, that's what we're, that's going to be what we're kind of working at. Um, and so I, before you guys got married, were you, you were already aware of this and agreed to this mission? And how's that changed how your, your whole relationship has really been yeah. based around? Yeah. Um, this was my, my question answer. Huh? <laughs> um, so yeah, a little bit about like why Japan and how God led us to that. Like I was you know, God's funny in how he brings different people to uh, these callings uh, uh, in different ways. And so for me, I was just like a super big Nintendo nerd when I was growing up. I mean, 1995 was when I was born. And so Donkey Kong, Mario, GameCube, Nintendo 64. I mean, I was enamored by this culture. And I was, as a kid, I just couldn't get enough of it. And then as I grew, um, God just blessed me with um, best friends that were um, of... Asian descendancy, and so um, not specifically Japanese, but I was just, I loved that culture. And then as I grew up um, and matured, uh, he grew that love for the Japanese culture and matured that as well into things like their art and history, um, architecture, different things like that. 
And then, um, so all these kids that are playing Fortnite are going to go to the mission field someday. <laughs> yeah, I guess God can use that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's what you're saying. Basically. Yeah, exactly. So keep playing Fortnite. <laughs> um, <laughs> some, some parents are mad at me right now. I know, right? Um, no, and so my senior year, I went to Passion with the Sanctuary Fellowship, um, and that's kind of where God did the second KO punch and said, like, yeah, you're giving me your everything, and I want you in this full-time, um, and I, you know, I thought that might be pastoring and missions. God very clearly revealed that to me, um, and it just, I can't explain it, but it was just this, okay, I want to serve God, um, and I have this love for this culture, and so I started looking into um, the Japanese culture and their need for the gospel, and so a lot of people don't know this, and we have a huge heart for advocacy the Japanese people are the second largest unreached people in the world. And so we can look at countries like um, continents like Africa and these countries in Africa, um, and we see, yes, they need um, the gospel, but we also see their physical needs. And so that's what we usually think of when we think of um, places to go do missions. Um, but places like Japan, first world countries, they have all of this stuff. I mean, robots and flying cars and just sushi. I mean, we love... Japanese culture, and we're consuming it here, um, but we don't think of them as a place that needs the gospel, and so 99% of the population um, in Japan is non-Christian, and so really less than point, or less, less than 1%, about 0.5 of a percent is evangelical Christian, and so um, you've got um, all of these people, and for us, we're blessed, and this is kind of how I explain it to people, we're so blessed that when we've come to the end of, of trying to fill this void in our heart here in America with these just disgusting things that really just lead to destruction, um, we have the opportunity to turn um, to a church. We know what churches are. We're comfortable because they've been in our history. We know that they're not cults, and so we can step inside, and we have the ability to hear the gospel message just like you guys did come here today and hear the gospel message and respond to it. But the Japanese people, they don't have Christianity in, in their history, um, and so I mean, they'll wear cross necklaces and earrings, but they have no idea who Jesus is. They don't know what a Bible is, what a church is. And so all of these people are trying to, like what we once did in our lives, trying to fill this void with all this um, just destructive stuff. And when you get to the end of that and you're like, okay, none of this is going to satisfy me, they can't turn to God. Mm -hmm. So they turn to things like, you know, even more destructive things like sex trafficking, uh, but oftentimes suicide. So... Mm -hmm. Um, suicide is, is rates are huge in Japan. Um, and so we want to bring that light of the gospel, the opportunity for them to respond to the gospel. Um, and so really they're just buying a bunch of lies. And I think our church, you know, has this unique story and it's particularly my family. Like we're no strangers to suicide. And if you've been at the church long enough, you know, um, that even Christians can buy into mm -hmm. the lies of Satan to mm -hmm. the point where we make a decision and it's irrevocable. <laughs> um, and so, you know, these people are, all they have is lies. And mm -hmm. so we want to at least bring them the opportunity, preach the gospel to these Japanese people um, and give mm -hmm. them the opportunity to hear the truth um, and to have light pierce the darkness there. Um, and so that's kind of my side of the story. And then you could talk about how God... So when I was going on those short-term trips is when I definitely felt like the Lord was leading me towards missions in my life in some way. 
Um, and so it was really cool. We kind of went on our first date because Addison heard I'd been to China. He loves Japan. And so he's like, it's close hey, enough to Japan. Yeah, <laughs> let me hear about your mission trip. So <laughs> it worked out for us, though. And it really was cool um, yeah. <laughs> um, for us, you know, having those conversations and realizing that God was calling both of us to missions um, and led us together so that we could serve God together in that. Um, and I'm thankful that he also led us both separately um, so we both know it's a call on our own lives, and now we're doing it together. So. Yeah, and her, um, you're supposed to, no, I'm just kidding. Um, her grandma was a missionary kid there, grew up there, and so her great-grandparents were missionaries there for 40 years. Oh, wow. So we talk about that all the time, that, like, it's just such a huge blessing that God, I mean, you know, she was already called to full-time missions, um, but then when I came into the picture, it, it didn't take much for her to say, like, okay, I can get on board with Japan because... I love the culture. I've had it in my, you know, Christmas um, type ceremonies. You know, we do some Japanese things and eat Japanese foods, and my mom's been there, and da 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 da. So God really used both of our stories and brought us together, um, and then we just kept pursuing it, and God just laid thing after thing in front of us, and we just said yes. And so that's awesome. So our, our church is, is supporting them on a monthly basis. So as you give regularly, we're, we're supporting them, and then we'll do more than words at the end of the year, and we'll do some of those funds. We want to push it. This is one of the people we're, we're supporting that way. So how else can our church come alongside you guys and support you and kind of get into this world with you as you're trying to get on the mission field and then once you get there? This is everything you can <laughs> um, so we have a monthly email we set out, sent out. It's just a you know a few sentences, just giving people updates and prayer requests. So we would love um, to get y'all on there, so you know how to be praying for us. We would love to get to know some people better in the church. Me especially, I don't know a lot of you, um, and so you know we would love to just be able to meet more people and get more connected. Um, we're going to be standing back there um, after this, and so we would love to meet you. We have little prayer cards. We can give you, um, and if we get your emails, we can get you on the update list so you know how to be praying. Yeah, yeah, and I think, you know, we could easily pass up prayer and say, like, oh, you know, that's not that important. But, I mean, a huge heart of ours is to go um, to Japan and love on not only the Japanese people who do not know Christ and the members of the church, but the missionaries and the pastors that are serving there diligently um, they need encouragement. They need love. They need to be reminded um, that God sees them, um, that God is moving around the world, that God has not forgotten them, nor has he forgotten the Japanese people. Hmm. Um, and so just as much as they need to be reminded of that, we are going to need to be reminded of that. And so those that, you know, are part of our email list, following our blog, you know, just that quick email back to us saying like, hey, we're praying for you or what's going on? How can we be praying for you? Um, goes a long way. But then in part of, of seeing God move around the world and being reminded that God sees them, I think is going to be um, tying into our role as the short-term coordinators. We're going to be doing a lot of stuff with short-term um, teams, bringing them in, um, and that's to uh, attract people in the community to come to these churches so that pastors and local congregations can preach the gospel um, and build those relationships. And so um, part of that is you guys coming alongside. I mean, you guys... You guys are about to have a, um, a meeting for Uganda. Um, just as you guys are going on short-term trips every year to Uganda, um, there could be someone in this church that says, I love the Japanese people. I've been there, you know, whatever. I haven't been there, I, but I want to love the Japanese people. I want to lead a trip. Um, and working with us to 
you know, get people within this church on board, um, coordinating, you know, funds to raise, schedules, things like that, and then coming and loving on the Japanese people yourself. Um, we, you know, that's kind of like the biggest dream um, we want to see is you guys coming and working alongside us. Um, and you guys can do that through the short-term trips. And so we're really excited to partner with the Sanctuary Fellowship. Yes, not just prayerfully and financially, but um, like co-laboring on the field together mm. um, and having you guys love on the Japanese church, having you guys love on the pastors. Because, I mean, just think about it real quick. 99% of the population, non-Christian, there's just, and it's a pretty small country, there's not a lot of people. And so the Christian population is small and they feel isolated. And so for them to see, like, hey, there's people around the world that love us and, and God's moving and God sees us, like, that's huge for them. You know, to know that they have a community outside of just this small group um, is huge because they already feel ostracized uh, by their culture. And so um, that's just our dream. So Cool. So we're going to have an opportunity today. We're going to do a couple of things. Y'all can probably go ahead and put those there. Um, if y'all wouldn't do me a favor, and then Nick, if you guys, and Rick, I think is here, the Uganda team, y'all are going to come up here right now, and then you guys are going to join them here on the floor. We're going to have a time of prayer over all of our missionaries that we're talking with this morning. So if you're going to Uganda, you need to get on up and come on up here. I know some of them are out of town and traveling. And then the Zodis will be up here too. We want to pray over them. Yeah, kind of maybe just spread yourselves out just a little bit because we're going to ask some people to maybe come up with you. So not the whole church, but if you are a family member, close friend, and you want to come up with your family person or whatever, do it right now. You're going to come up here and join them, and we're going to have a time of prayer over them. If you want to come pray over the Zodis, that would be awesome as they're getting ready and getting prepared. And as a church, we're going to send these people out to go be faithful and to be our representatives. I think in some ways we can't all go there, you know? Um, but we do have an opportunity to send them, and they can be our representatives. So why don't we just, in your little small groups with whoever you're with, somebody just sort of, you know, lead out in some prayer over your people. If you know of name, pray over them right now, over these people up here, okay? Go ahead. Whoever would like to lead in your small groups. <laughs> 